Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. And I'm delighted today for my guest, I have my colleague Derek O'Reilly, training manager in Carmichael. We're going to discuss probably what might be a bit provocative title, but the title of our podcast today is Boards Behaving Badly and Domineering CEOs. Um, you're very welcome, Derek. Thanks, Jeremy. Delighted to be here. Carmichael has held a few joint events recently with the wheel on this very, very topic. What do you think is the driver for this sudden explosion of interest in this type of topic? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It goes back a few years, really. I think we became aware of it as a problem just from informal conversations with both boards and CEOs through our work in Carmichael and through our contact with both our resident member organisations in Carmichael, but all the other organisations we deal with as well. It seemed to be coming out as a theme. Uh, so in collaboration with The Wheel, we actually did two different events. We did a webinar back in November 21, and then we did a slot on The Wheel Summit in June 22. And there was a lot of interest in those events with the same topic where uh, we have today. Uh, and a lot of people saying at those events, this is really important, we need more discussion, uh, we need more help with this uh, when it happens, uh, or if it happens, and we'd like to know what kind of resources and supports are out there. So that's really where it came from. And what are the type of issues that you've been encountering or have been hearing about in this area? Yeah, we've we've actually come across the whole gamut. So it's like there's a spectrum. I suppose you could characterize it as a bell curve where you have a lot of stuff in the middle and then quite extreme stuff at the end. Uh, I'll give you two examples. Uh, one, I suppose to be fair, one in relation to the behavior of a CEO, one in relation to the behavior of a board. Uh, and these are, I suppose, are probably the more serious uh, end of the scale. Uh, the first example, uh, a CEO uh, was taken on in his new job as a as CEO of, a new, of an organization, and uh, he wasn't invited to the first board meeting, which he was quite surprised at. So he was appointed, the first board meeting happened, and he wasn't, they didn't engage with him at all on that meeting. And then when he asked about that, he asked the chair, just like, why, why did this happen? Uh, he was getting, you know, quite a frosty response. And it was like, well, we've been working on a strategic plan. Uh, so we just wanted to kind of finalize that. And he was saying, well, you know, I would have liked to be in part of that, particularly at the end of the process. It then turned out there was a serious uh, difficulties between the board and the existing staff about where this strategic plan was going. The CEO then found himself caught in the middle of that uh, tension that had pre-existed that he wasn't aware of. So that's an example, really, of where a board really didn't behave well towards a new CEO. The second example I'll give is a, a CEO who was taken on by a board, uh, and he appeared to be very highly skilled. He appeared to be very experienced, and the board really deferred to his experience very readily. They made a few fairly serious errors, I suppose, in relation to that. They allowed him to write his own employment contract, for starters, uh, he then started to implement uh, policies without approval from the board. 
And the board later discovered that he had started misusing funds quite early on in his tenure as CEO, and he'd also topped up his own pension. So that was a very serious uh, problem that had arisen from a CEO who just stepped way beyond his remit. Yeah, those are two, as you say, two good examples of unacceptable behaviours. What do you think are the sort of main causes for this upsurge in bad behaviour? Yeah, I, th- I think just probably in those two examples, I think there's immediately you can see a, a different ways, but a similar problem in that there was a lack of control. I think uh, the board simply, uh, in the in the second case I gave there, the board simply wasn't in control of the situation. Uh, and then I think in the first example I gave, the CEO wasn't allowed to have any control in a situation where he was kind of caught in the middle. So that's one of the problems I think that we've identified the reasons behind that and why that has arisen as a particular issue uh, in recent years, there's quite a, a variety of different reasons that people will identify themselves. I mean, there is a lot of stress, I think, on both boards and CEOs to come up with the goods. Uh, I think there's been a lot of uh, pressure on, on charities over the last number of years, particularly with increasing regulation, legislation that they have to adhere with. A lot of organisations have been worried about money and sustainability. They're wondering, how can we survive next year? How can we survive over the next few years with all of the different stresses that are being po- imposed on us externally? I think also we could see from conversations with people that there was a lack of clarity and it was a clarity from from both sides of that uh, divide if you if you like the sometimes the boards were simply not clear on where where their responsibilities started and where their responsibilities ended and similarly you found some CEOs also had a lack of clarity on that and maybe uh, overstepped the mark uh, so that became a problem. People, maybe boards trying to micromanage a CEO or a CEO trying to manage a board, neither of which is desirable. Uh, and also a lack of trust. I think that was one of the things that I noticed when you kind of looked at the the soft skills part of how people related to each other. Trust somehow or other had broken down between both parties and that just got worse and worse. Yes, the, the, the funding issues has is always is all, uh, been a, a trigger point. But We've just been through a, a COVID pandemic and some say we're, we're still going through it. And I think that has brought on some additional stresses and strains to bear both on both the boards and the CEOs and staff. And some relationships have been really tested to the limit. Can you talk about how people have dealt with that or maybe didn't really deal with that? Yes. Yeah, sometimes didn't deal with it is the critical issue there. Uh, I think there was an awful lot of challenges arose uh, when the pandemic kicked in and then as the pandemic started to pan out and people realised this is going to last quite a long time. Uh, So the initial year or two was very stressful where boards were finding it difficult to meet, where people were trying to work from home and trying to figure out how to uh, inhabit that whole new landscape that uh, that had been imposed on them. Uh, and I think it brought a lot of uncertainty. I think a lot, again, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of organisations wondered, where will we be next year? After COVID or if COVID remains around, are we going to be around? Do we have to change how we do things? Do we have to even change how, you know, our very our very reason for existing? On top of that, then, you had people trying to have remote board meetings, sometimes uh, very unused to that uh, technology, Uh, trying to have Zoom meetings for the first time. Also, 
people trying to meet on screen and not being able to engage as readily with each other as they would have had uh, previous to that. So sometimes misunderstandings have arisen uh, at board meetings or misunderstandings have arisen between CEOs and boards. Uh, and sometimes you you also found, I think, particularly in the early stages of COVID, some boards in particular, but also some CEOs, went into kind of panic mode. It was like, this is a major panic for us. We don't know what's going to happen. And there were knee-jerk reactions, which actually were, were leading to decisions that were probably not in the best interests of the organisation. I think the people who handled COVID best were the ones who were very calm, who were very objective in how they dealt with the stresses and the strains that were becoming apparent and who were able to talk calmly and rationally to each other. And that that really paid off for organisations that were able to do that. Don't panic, stay calm, as I say. Um, Bullying and harassment, you know, can be displayed in some of the examples you gave there, but sometimes there's a danger to applying that label to a situation too quickly. Um, at what point should bullying and harassment be named as, as the core of the issue? Yeah. This is a very complex issue, uh, and the terms bullying and harassment can be, I suppose, they can be ba- bandied around very quickly sometimes, uh, and perhaps uh, unjustifiably so. So that's one difficulty that can arise. The other difficulty that can arise is if there is fairly clear bullying and harassment occurring either within a board or between a board and a CEO, sometimes people are reluctant to identify it as bullying and harassment and they'll try they'll maybe try to shy away from the reality of that situation which is very uncomfortable for them and they'll try to ignore it. If you ignore something like that, it's not going to go away. The chances are it will it will get worse. So I think part of the problem there is a problem of perception. If people perceive a a situation to be a certain thing, like bullying and harassment, and other people say, no, I don't see it that way. I think that's where there's a real need for people to have honest and open conversations with each other. For example, if somebody has to say to another person, the way you behave to me makes me feel uncomfortable. That is a challenge to the other person to say, "Okay, I hear what you're saying. I need to stand back and think about that rather than saying, no, it's not. And I'm not going to discuss it with you. So if you try to close down those conversations, you're not going to get anywhere. I think people have to be open. Sometimes they have to take it on the chin. You know, if somebody says something to them that they don't like, that makes them feel uncomfortable, They'll have to say, okay, well, I'll need to think about how I behave, either at board meetings or in other, uh, in other working relationships. If it goes on and on, I think what happens, and we've seen this, and it is really terrible to watch this from the sidelines, I think people can get really worn down by those situations. And people can get very demotivated if they feel, I'm caught in a situation, it's not getting any better uh, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to get out of this situation unless maybe I leave the organisation or something like that. I think that's a terrible pity because I think if people work on it, they can salvage the situation and they can prevent a situation arising maybe where somebody really good decides I'm out of this, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I have seen people come through those situations and 
at the end of the situation, they come out much stronger from it. And I think they're able to recalibrate relationship, relationships between themselves and they're able to move on from that point. That makes the organisation, the board and the CEO stronger, I think, in how they can, how they can deal with each other and also how they can deal with maybe future uh, problems that might arise between themselves. So keeping those lines of communication open is really key. That's, that's very, very helpful. Um, one of the reasons why we, we selected this topic for today's podcast is that you've actually written an article on this uh, whole area. What would be your key advice tips that you would suggest to help an organisation or individuals that are going through these the, the sort of issues? I think when I was writing the article, I was fortunate to have a lot of raw material from the people that we had uh, been in discussion with, particularly from the two events that uh, we held in 2021, 2022. We actually salvaged a lot of feedback from those events and some of the questions that had been posed and some of the observations that had been posed by the people involved. And I think there were a number of really useful things that, from a practical point of view, that came out in terms of, okay, how can we resolve these situations if they arise, or how can we preempt these situations from arising? One of the things that came out, and it was something that I noticed more and more in discussions, a lot of people, a lot of what they were talking about was reflected in the actual charities' governance code. So when you look at the principles of the governance code, uh, people's issues were touching on a lot of uh, what those principles were were asking people to look at and asking people to ensure were done properly in their organisations. So, for example, you know the the governance code does talk about behaviour. It talks about things like integrity. It, it asks you to have a look at having a code of conduct in place. So all of those things. Uh, are very useful. If you actually comply with the governance code, it can actually prevent a lot of these situations arising. It's not a, it's not a foolproof mechanism by any means, uh, but there are very good templates and resources that go with the governance code. If you look at the, uh, the Charities Regulators website, there is a, a code toolkit which helps you to comply with the code, which gives you very good templates for things like codes of conduct. The other thing uh, I think we noticed was that some people had to rely on outside help. They found within the situation they were caught in, either the CEO or the board, they really had exhausted all possibilities of resolving situations uh, themselves. So they they did have to look to uh, outside help, either a consultant or somebody who might even have to mediate if there was a full-blown row had erupted. An outsider can be a really good way of maybe bringing a fresh perspective and bringing people back to first principles and allowing them to take a fresh look at what what has been happening. The other problem I think uh, has been in some cases where you have the same people involved year after year and you might have deteriorating relationships over those years And I think that's one of the things the regulator points out. You should be looking at recruitment of new trustees for your board periodically. So having new people come in, they can actually quite readily see a situation that other people might have lost sight of along the way. And those new people coming in, if they're competent and they're confident, can say, hang on a second, this is not right. So let's have a chat about this, even though it could be a very uncomfortable chat. 
also, I remember one person saying, we all need to look at our own behaviours and the way we react and the way we behave towards other people. And I think that's a really useful piece of advice and quite a challenging piece of advice because a lot of us, I think when we're caught in situations like that, we'll, uh, we'll avoid maybe looking at how we've dealt with situations or how we might deal with situations. So sometimes if you change the way you behave yourself, you can actually, you can actually resolve situations. Um, another thing is to have the confidence, I think, to call out inappropriate behaviour. I mean, if you see, particularly if you're, say, a board member and you see other board members behaving inappropriately towards each other or towards other people, to actually name that and say, look, this is not right and this is not on. And uh, can, we have a, can we have a conversation about that? Uh, again, a very difficult conversation to have, but well worth having it. Uh, one of the problems that can arise, of course, is, and we've seen this happen a few times, where the source of the problem was actually the chair of the board. And I think that gives rise to particular issues if a chair is, uh, is, not, you know, is not behaving properly. I think other people then need to challenge that. And I think they should have the confidence to be able to challenge the chair if those situations arise. Not a nice situation. And we've seen really horrible scenarios where... Uh, the chair simply was causing a lot of problems and had to be challenged. And in that particular situation, because the role of the chair is, is, is one of the pivotal roles in, in, in the governance, what should people do if the chair is the source of the problem or yeah. contributing to the problem? Yeah, it's not nice. I, I have first-hand experience of this, and I think uh, any of us who've, who've worked in this sector might, may well have come across this in the past. And it really throws, uh, uh, particularly the other board members, like, how do we deal with this? Maybe somebody who had been highly respected as chair, and or even before they were chair, and that's why they, they were asked to be the chair, and then suddenly they lose the run of themselves, or maybe gradually they lose the run of themselves and they become very difficult to to deal with. Uh, there's one example I can think of where uh, that was exactly the situation. And the chair, I think, became an increasingly toxic presence on the board. And uh, they just became quite disruptive and kind of an unpredictable person on the board. It was very difficult to anticipate how they would behave at any at any uh, given time. Uh, th- that person had to be challenged. It was it had gone beyond uh, the beyonds at that stage, and the other board members had to uh, say, "Look, enough. We have serious issues to deal with here. We can't have this situation continuing." That's an important point, Derek. Is that the, there is an onus on the other board members, not just because it's the chair is the source of the problem, to ignore it and say, "Well, I don't want to challenge or undermine the chair." you're going to do a lot more damage if it's not challenged. And, uh, and knowing, say, private sector organisations, particularly the larger ones, they have this concept of a senior independent director. I think there should be some other people within that board that others can go and talk to and say, look, I, I'm, I'm misreading, I'm, I'm not comfortable about how things are being handled and take it out. Also, the, the chief, chief executive needs to have other channels. If there is that tension where the, the, the chair is causing difficulties, Obviously, the CEO is going to be one and in the firing line and suffering from, from that. So I think other board members have that responsibility to say, look, 
this is not acceptable. And, and, and you mentioned earlier about the, the governance code and the code of conduct. I think those are good things in good times to have a discussion about well, codes of conduct, what's acceptable and unacceptable behaviours, because there might be irritants that might over time growing to major problems but if you can nip them up in, in a sort of a neutral environment where it's not you're in a crisis situation it can diffuse a lot of things where people weren't aware of behaviours or a way they, they approach things that were, were causing difficulty for others so I think if you can ideally would be to try and get preemptive action first before it becomes a, a and, and dear, you and I both have seen examples of boards coming to us asking for help, but it's gone beyond the eleventh hour. They're actually at a critical point where where things have been let go too it long. It is very often that relationships are fractured, and 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 that it's a difficult one. You, what you don't want is the organisation imploding completely. But when you're trying to build something that is broken, it's, it takes a lot of time and effort if you can get in earlier and, 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 and think about these issues and be, be, be pro- proactive and, and preventive maintenance in liking a lot of things is, is very, very important. Moving on a bit, um, I want to talk a bit about the role of organisation culture and how that can apply to the, this issue. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's a relatively new concept, this whole concept of organisational culture. It hasn't been really talked about until until recent times. Uh, but I think it is increasingly uh, recognised as a very important aspect to how an organisation functions or doesn't function. And having a positive culture that permeates the organisation from the board down is really important. I'll give you a very simple example to illustrate the point. And uh, it's one that I often quote to, to boards uh, when I'm talking to them. But it's that scenario where maybe something has gone wrong or... Uh, uh, the work of a charity maybe has come into the media and come to public attention and it arrives onto the news, the 6-1 news, probably the worst case scenario for a lot of charities Uh, but the newsreader says something like uh, we contacted the charity for a comment on this and nobody was available and I always think that's very telling because you can almost imagine people running for cover Uh, Instead of saying, okay, something has happened, we need to deal with this, we need to be open, we need to be transparent, we need to talk to other people and explain what has happened and explain that we're actually dealing with the situation. And I think that illustrates the difference between an organisation with a culture of openness and transparency and an organisation with a closed culture, with, with a, a, an attitude that let's not talk to other people, let's not actually be open and honest about things that might happen, even though they can be very uncomfortable. So that, that um, culture of secrecy maybe within some organisations, I think, uh, is not a good sign. And also, if that's at board level, you'll find it also runs through the organisation. Charities are not private organisations, and, and, and they're... they're they're public benefit organisations, and I think they need to understand that and appreciate. Well, what does public benefit organisation mean? But it's that culture of openness, transparency, and we all make mistakes. There will be things that need that will need fixing. But as you say, closing down the hatches and and hoping the problem will go away doesn't doesn't help in the in the long term. Never, no. I mean, the, the the image of the ostrich with their head in the sand. It never resolves things. What do you think are the and it's probably a tough question, but it's, uh, what do you think are the personal attributes of a, an effective board member and an effective CEO? So what's the sort of things in terms of in the context of what we've been just, just discussing? 
Yeah, it was interesting because when I was writing the article, uh, I was kind of mulling over that whole that whole um, uh, issue. And you are, I suppose, you are relying on having effective people at the helm in the organisation. So uh, that that kind of generated that question. Okay, well, what's what's the makeup of that kind of a person? And ideally, you can think of, I suppose, some key words in relation to it. Nobody will have all of these these uh, characteristics, but a few of them. I'll just highlight a few. I suppose. Uh, trigger words maybe in relation to that and it would be a person who is motivated you know who has the right motivation and who feels uh, passionate about the work of the organization and they're committed to the work of the organization but on the other hand as well there are things that you mightn't readily think of uh, and one of the things that people mentioned to me uh, in conversations was having a sense of humor and having a sense of perspective is important. You know, being able to stand back from situations and being able to assess them rationally and objectively without, uh, without uh, again, going into panic mode sometimes, maybe if things are, are not going well. That whole issue of openness and transparency, I think they're personal characteristics as well. I think people can bring in a sense of openness and and transparency into an organization. And they certainly should be reflective of that if that's overtly stated as a value of the organization. The two other words I can think of, and they're linked to each other, is confidence and competence. And I think they're both very much linked to each other. If you are competent and you know what you're doing, uh, and you're able to do the work well, I think a, a natural confidence comes with that. Uh, it's not, it doesn't necessarily happen the, way, the, the other way around. You might somebody find somebody who is uber confident, but they're not competent. So you do have to be careful about that. But I think you do need that. And if, particularly if people need to have difficult conversations with each other, that's where confidence and competence come into play. So just just uh, to have those would be ideal. Also, I mentioned about people being calm and objective. A calm person is always worth having when there's a crisis. Uh, and also a person who empowers other people, you know, who doesn't feel I have to do everything or I'm in charge. And the person who uses the word we rather than I and who readily drops the word we into conversations rather than it's all about me. I think that's really important as well. You mentioned earlier about the, the, the charity's governance code um, and the role it can play in, in, in helping charities to get their head around uh, so many issues, in particular in terms of um, the right culture and, and, and um, right behaviours. Are there particular standards that the code requires of charities? Yes, yeah, I think it does. Uh, it, it does talk to this topic quite readily if you actually drill down into the code. I mean, sometimes people look at the Charities Governance Code and they think, okay, well, this is about our, our compliance and our legal, our legal obligations. But in fact, there's a lot more to the code than that. Uh, the second principle, principle two, is about behaving with integrity. And I think it's really worth looking at that principle in more detail because I think that does uncover some of the the issues that we've been talked about, and it addresses how you might preempt some of those issues. I mean, it does talk specifically about having a code of conduct in place. And that should be something that's discussed at board level. You know, if we're going to put a code of conduct in place, what are the ingredients for that code of con- conduct? 
how do we relate the work of our organisation and our work as a board to a code of conduct rather than just pulling a template. I mean, you can pull a template if you want to off the charity's website, but in fact, much better to look at, okay, what specifically do we need to mention in our code of conduct and does it speak to us directly as the board of this particular organisation? So it does, uh, certainly the code does set standards for for board behaviour and for for, uh, the behaviour of board's members. It also, I think, really presses that point about understanding your roles. And in one of the examples I gave earlier, there was clearly a problem with understanding roles or understanding boundaries in relation to to roles. So I think the Charities Governance Code does help to clarify that for both the board and the CEO. I do I agree. I think a lot of these things come down as misunderstanding or misappreciation of what the roles and the boundaries of those roles. So clarity, understanding and revisiting them on a regular basis because you know we don't run in perfect lines. There will be flows and ebbs in, 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 in the organization's life. Um, so it's reviewing those, reiterating what those are and, and adjusting them as, as appropriate and as you say, where people have different interpretations of what their role and what their responsibilities and where the boundaries are, that can be a source of friction uh, if it's not, oh, it goes unchecked. And sometimes these are innocent misunderstandings. Um, that, that dynamic between the board, the trustees that are providing the governance, the oversight and direction, and the executive, the staff, the, the CEO in delivering on the objectives. And sometimes those boundaries can get a bit blurred. Yeah. And then if, if, if we don't recognize that we're now there's boundary creep in either direction yeah. you're going to have a difficulty um this has been fascinating as a, a topic and it is i just say a, one a, a, a very difficult topic for a lot of people because they're living through it at, at, at this time so if there are people listening to the podcast that are totally frustrated with the behavior of their colleagues on the board or with their ceo um and are, are sort of struggling, pulling their out, what do I do? What would be your advice to them? What, what should they start? What would be the sort of first few steps they should start taking? Yeah, um, I suppose we've kind of touched on them, but there are a few, a few things, I think, that can really jump out uh, as immediate uh, strategies you could put in place. Uh, one of them we've mentioned uh, probably more than once in this conversation, and it's about dealing with issues before they get out of control. So if you see there is a problem and it's kind of gestating over time, uh, maybe something that's making you feel uncomfortable or may, maybe something that's interfering with the, the effectiveness of the board or the CEO... I think that's where you have to say, okay, well, let's deal with that. Let's discuss it. Let's name it as a problem and let's try to resolve it before it gets any worse. Uh, Because as we said, if you just let things um, alone, they'll just get worse and worse. Uh, Communication is key. Keeping the lines of communication open or fixing the lines of communication. I mean, sometimes communication will break down and you're not even fully aware that it's broken down and you realise it's almost like you're talking two different languages to each other. So that's where people have to say, OK, let's just stop, take stock, maybe go back to the drawing board and see how we can resolve this before it completely goes out of control. Uh, seek help as well. I think that's important. Uh, sometimes you can't resolve these situations internally, so look look for out, outside uh, support. In the article that I've written, which is on our website, you will see there, there are links to a number of uh, external supports that you can access, uh, which might actually help to resolve the situation. Uh, also, I think 
people need to look after themselves. I think that's really important. And I have seen, and it's actually quite upsetting to watch um, situations deteriorating where people are just be becoming more and more burnt out and demotivated by a situation that they're, they're really struggling with. So I would say don't suffer in silence. Uh, don't risk burnout. I think that's not helpful to yourself or to anybody else. And look for the help that is readily available out there for you. So in conclusion, I think you mentioned that there are a lot of resources out there and there's quite a lot of resources available on the Carmichael website and on the Charities Regulator, and the Wheel and others. But particularly this article that on boards behaving badly and domineering CEOs, this article that you've written, Derek, it covers a range of practical supports, um, including mentoring, mediation and guidance documents that are available. So you can find this document on our resources section on the Carmichael Ireland .ie website and there's that's just one of the many free resources that we have available on that site and as I said so that if we leave you with this, if you are in a situation that you are feel that you're experiencing inappropriate or bad behavior take action don't don't let it because it's it does nobody any good and probably you will suffer if you don't take timely action so thank you very much Derek this has been fascinating um, and as I say this is one issue that we feel to have hit a nerve when we raised it last year um, and I've never seen anything like it when we was on that panel, the amount of things that kept flooding in through to the online session of people talking about situations that they were in. So um, hope this people have found this helpful and um, there are resources out there, but as Derek said, go look for help in, if, you, if you feel you need it um, and, and talk it out. So thank you very much. Thanks, Dermot. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofol.